And so as part of that work, we begin to connect them with their body and connect them with their process so they kind of gain control over their own body versus kind of surrendering it to someone else. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Mart, a podcast show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Mart. There are two main health professions that are involved in the pregnancy and birthing process of a child. One is an obstetrician, which most of us know, but do you know the second one? Well, that's what today's episode is all about. Today, we're going to talk with a midwife, one that specializes in home birth midwifery. We're going to learn how midwifery really brings a much more holistic approach to the birthing process of a child while still maintaining a high degree and level of safety. And you will also learn that this profession is not for the faint of heart. It does require a high degree and level of commitment and passion for helping moms through the birth of a child. My guest today is Kim Sun. She received her nurse degree from Hunter Bellevue School of Nursing, then got her master's degree in midwifery and also a nurse practitioner degree at the University of Pennsylvania. She is a certified Haven practitioner and trainer as well. She has been a certified nurse midwife for over 12 years, and she is extremely passionate about her job. This was an awesome and wonderful interview, and I'm excited to share this conversation with you as a listener. So let's jump into it and meet Kim. So, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome, Kim. Thanks for joining me on this episode. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Richard. <laughs> My pleasure. Kim, tell me about what you do and what kind of patients you take care of. Yeah, I'm a midwife, and I am a specific kind of midwife. I'm a home birth midwife. Home birth midwife. Right. A lot of people have their births with a midwife in their home, or that's a smaller proportion? Yeah, it's a unique population. It's under 3% so far nationwide in the U.S., yeah. So most people that have a midwife do give birth in a hospital setting? Right. So I think about 10% of births in the hospitals are done by midwives. Got it. And then there's that little, that's our little niche, which is home birth. So how do you help these patients out in their delivery? What what do I do? What do you do? <laughs> I do <laughs> I do pretty much everything. So I do sort of the doctoring part, if you know what I mean. The the part that we got trained in school to do, you know, mm-hmm, we run mm-hmm. all the labs. So if you're if you're pregnant and you're going to see an OBGYN, right? Your the the expectations of are like labs and ultrasounds and, you know, right. doing genetic testing, doing, you know, managing anything that comes up, right? So that's one part of our job. And then the next part of our job, which is a bigger chunk of it, is midwifery, which is, I know, which is kind of like, I kind of need to explain that because when I went to school, really the what we were taught is kind of how to be a doctor, Hmm. There isn't much. So there are many kinds of midwives, but particularly the certified nurse midwives. Okay. Who have sort of the, I guess, the widest scope of practice that's kind of legal. Okay. Um, And, but the most of the work that we are, most of the things we are taught are really 
all those doctoring things. And sort of the midwife part of it is kind of left for us to define mm. kind of what it is. And so generally yeah. you have an idea, you know, go to a midwife. I don't know if you feel that way, but generally when people think about midwives, they think about this nice person. <laughs> Right, <laughs> who's going to? That's like, a good start. Yeah, it's a good start. But then it gets into these areas where they go, "What can a nice person do for me?" Mm. Right. Mm. But there is a whole sort of system about of this midwifery care and this whole how you approach yeah. care. It's sort of a different way to approach care, and so and that part of the work really is learned, especially if you're doing home birth where there isn't like a strict sort of like guidelines on what your job is. You're really taking care of that, not only the your client, your client's family, you know, the partner, the woman, the partner. You're taking care of their labs, all the sort of the ultrasounds. You're taking care then of educating them, sort of feel, making them feel knowledgeable, empowered, that sort of thing. And a big part of, my work particularly is taking care of their mental health so that we're kind of trying to assess, do history taking, assess what kind of trauma they might bring into their, into the pregnancy. So you can clear it before they come to the, before they really the psychological aspect. Yes. The psychological. So it's a real mind body approach and it's not, it's you, that mind body approach is a little unique to my care in that, I have a set protocol. So I do I do incorporate mental health into my care. Mm. Because that has been a it it does have such a huge impact on birth. But every midwife, if you're talking about generally like home birth midwives, they do bring their own sort of sensibility into this sort of creating uh, trust and helping the woman feel cared for. And they are good listeners, and that helps a lot. So mm-hmm. it's just so it becomes the care becomes very sort of holistic, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that you learn after you you kind of after you graduate, and you kind of have to f- figure it out along the way. What More the art, you, yes. And unfortunately, it's not taught very much in school. So. You help to kind of clarify that as a versus an OBGYN. Mm-hmm. And for, first of all, there's an OBGYN and there's a midwife. Those are kind of the two main type of professions that usually give birth to to uh, to babies. Yes, usually deliver babies. That's deliver right. babies. That's the term people use. And OBGYN is a bit more medical, but mm-hmm. a, a midwife has some medical components to it, but they also are much more hands-on. Right, right. Are you asking me the difference? Yes. How do you set the difference between OBGYN and a midwife? Yeah, people ask that a lot. So the way to think about it is the only thing we kind of don't do is C-sections. Okay. So we do the whole series of assessment work and taking sort of all, don't do all the tests, right? And then when it comes to a high-risk situation, right? For example, somebody in the middle, somebody may have a thyroid issue, let's say. Yeah. We are, we are then going to work collaboratively with a specialist. So we work alongside a specialist. Okay. Whereas, and, and I think a lot of doctors do that too. They also send 
any sort of high risk people to MFM? MFM? Maternal fetal medicine. Okay. Which is, you know, the, the medicine that deals with high risk pregnancy. Got so it. if there was somebody needing some extra help, then we collaborate and we kind of work together. Got it. And we don't, it's one of the misconceptions is we don't necessarily risk a woman out of a home birth just because they are, they need special care. So let's say, right, if you need, if someone is on, has hypothyroidism, right, right. and they need to take some kind of Synthroid or something, then as long as their thyroid levels are normal, mm-hmm. the impact is going to be the same as if they, you know, they don't have it because we are actually monitoring that and giving them, medic- giving them medication so that their thyroid levels are normal. That's So at the end of the day, they are still eligible for a home birth. Okay. Right. So so I think, and it's difficult to answer because we spend so much more time with them. So I would say that the doctor, the difference is that they have more, they take more clients. So they are, they are, their business model is different. So they have to keep sort of churning because there's a lot of turnover. So a lot of people are, are coming all the time. And, and so they are the time that they are able to spend with the, uh, each, each, patient is is kind of like maybe 10 minutes you know you can't if you come to see a doctor you're mostly going to be sitting in the waiting room right and then moving from room to room where uh, a nurse might take your vitals okay or somebody else might take your lab work right else might come and do an admin work asking you to sign here and there and then when you see the doctor you have 10 minutes to spend with him okay we just do everything i see so you don't have these intermediaries, such as a nurse or yeah. a, uh, an assistant, doing the charting, right? You're really dealing and hold, you know, holding the hand of yes. mother, yes. soon to be mother, yes, um, the whole time. Yes, and there's a good reason to it too. We like to say it's not just you know the fact that we um, don't have help taking blood pressure or or running labs, right? Or you know, sticking a needle in your arm. The idea of just Having someone you trust do it, that's mm. a big plus. And also, you know, just having, you know, I can tell, for instance, if I'm, you know, taking blood, I am examining, I'm thinking about how this woman reacts to a needle. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing that kind of observation as I'm sort of doing what seems to be just like nursing work, right? So that's what makes this care unique. It's just that spending time with a human being and building their trust and sort of getting to know them changes the paradigm of this care, if you know what I mean. Because if you're just coming in and spending 10 minutes with somebody and all you do is kind of, you know, take a Doppler or ultrasound and listen to the baby and then you sit there, you go, any questions? Okay, great. I'll see you soon. And then go. You don't get to know that person as mm-hmm. well. And even when we do sort of the baby checks, sort of the basic um, vital signs and, yeah. you, know, you know, and palpation, we do a different kind of palpation. So we're not just, you know, we, we touch. And then there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that sort of sensory care. We yeah. touch and then we teach them what, we tell them what we're touching and we teach them to touch too. And so as part of that work, we begin to connect them with their body and connect them with their process so they kind of gain control over their own body versus kind of surrendering it to someone else. 
And then at the same time, questions will kind of organically come up and then we will begin to kind of like, you know, someone might, might, might say, I'm worried. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hearing. I'm, I don't feel the baby move yet because mm. a friend might have said, oh, my baby's moving. Mm. And then we'll, then that's an opportunity to educate them and to tell them that movements, you know, depending on how many babies they've had, depending on so many things, they may or may not feel movement. And then it's an opportunity to tell them what a movement can, can like a baby movement can be like in the beginning. It can just feel as if you ha- have gas. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's that kind of little information that we give them, and on sort of that that level, it's just education. But on a bigger level, it connects them to the process. They become less afraid of their body. They become more intuitive. So it's that kind of complexity that's kind of very different about this work. In my specialty as an anesthesiologist, from my perspective, when a woman is giving birth, we're called to put an epidural in. Mm-hmm. And they're there for several hours. Yes. And then sometimes that patient will give birth in their room mm-hmm. in the hospital, or sometimes mm-hmm. they'll give birth in, because a C-section is necessary in an operating room. Yes. That's kind of the timeline that that I that I see generally in my profession mm-hmm. uh, for a woman how they how they give birth. Yes. How is that different from your perspective? Right. And that's a really great question. I'm glad you asked it because time is a really important topic. You know, we don't really have a time limit on anything. You know, we, so if you're looking at a timeline, yes, there's a timeline of what, what we expect, Mm -hmm. but we do give the woman a lot of time to labor. Mm. So we don't have a clock. We don't kind of gauge, we don't check them regularly so that we don't gauge where they're at. So that we kind of like, you know, it's a system, right? And furthermore, you're talking, if as an anesthesiologist, you know, you're talking about people who want an epidural. Yes. Yep. And someone who comes into a home birth actually believes that she can do it herself. Uh-huh. So this, the, the birthing process starts before they even come to the hospital for you. Right, the exactly. Starts Months yes. ago. Yes, and then, you know, also, you know, where you will see them when they are sort of generally in active labor, right? I know that the hospital has changed the protocols a little bit. It used to be four centimeters. So it's very sort of algorithmic and numbers driven, right? So you say, okay. for, right. you know, someone comes in and they are less than four centimeters, they might be sent back until they're mm. four centimeters, okay. which... You know, and that has to do with time management. Right? The institution, because it is driven by profit, they want to be most efficient, right? Because what can cost the institution most money is staff. So if someone is early, so, so to speak, early labor, and they're spending all that time in the labor room, that's going yeah. to cost the hospital more so they have a system where unless you are in sort of raging active labor you're you have to stay home but mm-hmm. how is that different than yeah, as well, a midwife? one of that one of the problem i was just going to and now you're getting me passionate one of the one of the problems <laughs> oh no don't get that way <laughs> i'm no, really please. trying to be logical but it's hard because this is such a politicized world but you know the one of the problems with that is that four centimeters or six now now people are using six centimeters, which is better because you truly are active at around six centimeters. One of the problems with this kind of 
sort of algorithmic care based on numbers is that a woman's body doesn't know that. Because you could have someone mm-hmm. six centimeters and give birth within half an hour. You could have someone eight centimeters, going to take her another 12 hours to give mm-hmm. birth, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you're, in other words, if you're using numbers and you're using vaginal exams, which is a whole different sort of thing that we can talk about, vaginal exams are not necessary except for documentation, right? Because in this, in in the hospital system, because of the way things work, that documentation needs to happen. You need to have a number in order to determine where she's at, right? If you're talking about timeline, whereas we are looking at her, we're looking at her behavior. We're looking at her mm. responses. We're looking at what she's telling us. So for instance, okay. if she's saying, I feel suddenly she's in labor, let's say, um, for a day. And then she turns, she says, I feel like pooping. Uh, it tells us a lot. And then we can mm-hmm. watch the way that she's starting to vocalize differently. So yeah. it's sort of that art form that's the sort of the unique thing about our work. We're kind of able to tell where she, how she's curving through observation. The birthing process from when they start to mm-hmm. dilate and, and start having mm-hmm. contractions until they give birth mm-hmm. to the child could be a few hours, but it also could be a, more yes. than a day. My, my tortoise is so 13 minutes. <laughs> my question then is, what is your typical day like? Oh, you mean when someone goes into labor? No, what's your, what is your well, typical day like? It depends whether there's a birth. As a, whole, when, a day when there's a birth is a different day from today, like when there isn't okay. a birth. So... So our okay. weeks are very stagnant. This is one of the most sort of unique thing about this job is that you don't, you can't plan a day. You can plan roughly what you can put your prenatal visits in, in your calendar, but then you have to be okay. prepared to leave because you're wow. on call, right? So you're on call you're on all call the time. 24-7, right? Even on the Eat. weekends. The babies don't care, right? <laughs> The babies I booked my birth at on Monday at one p.m. Haven't gotten that memo. <laughs> so, so, so you're on call yes. all the time, and you obviously cannot be working by yourself yes, I have a because you mm-hmm. need. Okay. I think I've been, but for a long time before I had this partner, I, and a, a, quite a few home birth midwives are solo practitioners. I I did okay. that, and it's brutal. I, I can so imagine. I imagine anyone, I mean, you know, because there's no real sort of blueprint for this job, you know, it's just people like me, you know, being able to advise people. If you were ever to go into home birth eventually, like go find someone who will mentor you and then find a way to get up into a partnership with someone because it's brutal. And if it, if you don't, and furthermore, just this job is so isolating that just having a partner or having a community where you can, you know, talk about your case studies and just like, you know, exchange ideas yeah. and things like that. And then just yes. build resources for each other. That's hugely important. So tell me then what your work-life balance is like. So I, my, my daughter understands that if we're at Christmas at any time, if it's not vacation period, which maybe once a year, I will take an actual solid vacation. If it's not vacation period okay. that I cannot be relied on. 
So one, um, so I've had to run away in the middle before dinner starts. One time, I've just had to go. You know, we were we had this lovely restaurant that we waited so long to go to, and as soon as we sat down, I yeah. had to leave. So that, <laughs> or we were in the middle of Christmas dinner, I have just had to leave. Or there was one time I went to see my daughter in Pennsylvania, and so this is pre thank the day before Thanksgiving, right? And yeah. I looked at my calendar and it was totally unlikely that someone was going to give birth at on that date. So, you know, but okay. I was ready, but it was only one yeah. person sort of due within that five week window, which is 37 to 42. Now on that day, yeah. there's this one, what we call a primate, the first time mom. She was on yeah. that very day, yeah. she was going to turn 37 weeks and 37 yeah. weeks is starts the window. But a first time mom is highly unlikely to go at 37 weeks she usually goes at 41 weeks and there wasn't anyone else in labor so i was quite certain that we were going to make this this dinner yeah yeah so so we we had a nice sort of the day before thanksgiving and at four o'clock in the morning i get a call And then I had to drive back from Pennsylvania. I still remember the sun coming up as I'm driving back to New York City. <laughs> and then, you know, then, you know, I had to leave. So these babies are really rude. They can't. <laughs> you try to tell them. Because they, they, they don't start on the they, right foot they when they enter the world with you, do they? me at all. That I had to have dinner, so it's it's so it's really like and that. when you leave too, it's not like you're gone for an hour or two. You're gone for six, twelve. Yeah, plus so hours. that's an interesting question too. So our recent birth, we had we stayed there for three to four hours because we were she, her labor was fast, but okay. sometimes labors could go on for two days, and we don't show up yeah. as soon as they go into labor. We monitor it. What do you mean by monitor? We, mon- Come back we monitor forth? her labor by phone. Oh, so okay. know when right. to show up. Got it. So you just explained how you got to pick up and go sometimes. Mm-hmm. You're on call mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, and I would say that sometimes that's maybe the least favorite part of your job is just being well, on call I mean, all the time. I don't resent that at all. I, it's just getting used to that. So yeah. I'm, you know, people often ask me, how can I be just sitting there and enjoying a movie or having dinner or, or just like right now, I'm not thinking about anything, but honestly, I could get a call right now and have to go. So you get used to yeah. not to allowing what you get used to being called anytime. And so you have everything ready to go and you stop worrying. So it's not really a bad thing. It's just, a little challenging and you have to kind of get into that mindset and not think about it. So if someone's listening to this, they're saying, why the (laughs) heck am I even thinking about this as a career? Midwife, she's on call the time. She has to possibly miss Christmas and Thanksgiving dinner. And I have evidence because I'm listening to Kim's son tell me she did miss Christmas and Thanksgiving dinner. What are the rewarding parts of this job? Yes, it's sort of, I think it's the, it's kind of the best thing I've ever done. I think it was just the, it call, the, this calling came to me. Like I didn't go looking for it because I think generally mm. I'm a very lazy person. So if I can have, <laughs> I don't, I don't self-motivate. That's the truth. I don't sort of like, you know, I, it's hard. It's hard for me to self-motivate. But when you are taking care of someone and you have this such huge responsibility, it, that's motivation, right? So mm. I have to be sort of 
on the go all the time. And I think that being on the go is actually mentally healthy for 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 people. Not you know, like you just have to like think on your feet. You know, so it's actually that part of it is not a terrible thing for me. Thinking on your feet and having to work through. It's just the the you just have to arrange, you just have to be clever. And you have to get a partner and you have to be able to arrange it so that you can have time off. And that's all you need. You need like a nice break, maybe a month break out of the year just to be able to do your things. And then you have to get into a mindset when you're not in on a vacation that every dinner or every moment that you have, you enjoy it. You kind of like, uh, you actually appreciate mm-hmm. it more because you don't know if this is going to actually happen. <laughs> I, mean, I know this is crazy, but to say... But that part of the work is actually not the difficult part. And because it's so rewarding in that you are, I mean, there are a lot of things that are rewarding about this in that you can really connect with another human being in a way that you could never, like you kind of go into their, I mean, you go into their bodies, you go into their kitchen, you go into their bathroom, like physically and Mm. mentally, you go into their mental spaces, you know, like how do you ever have a job where you get into this very intimate place with another human being, right? That's challenge, and that's what I think. If anybody wants to choose this kind of job, they've got to be the kind of people who find that meaningful. Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people do. You told me at the beginning you separate yourself uh, as a midwife who does home births only. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between having it in the mm-hmm. hospital? Versus at the home, is it just as you just talked about the intimacy aspect? Yeah, so of it? it's not just the birth, but it's or- also the prenatal care. To, to be honest with you, the birth is sort of from, for us. I mean, I, for a lot of people, that's sort of I like what I like to call the money shot. Everybody's ready for the birth, you know, it's all about the birth. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. say, you know, your life isn't about the wedding. You know, it's about the relationship. It's about your marriage, right? Mm. The wedding isn't mm. everything. You can still have mm. if your wedding didn't go well you can still have an amazing relationship, right? So if you'll end up, yeah. so when people come to us, we are very clear. You come to us for good yeah. midwifery care. No matter what happens, you will, you will, you know, the, the goal is to make you feel cared for, that somebody was on your side, to make you feel in control, to make you feel knowledgeable. Somebody didn't take your, your autonomy away from you, right? It's yeah. that whole spectrum, but you know, if you're looking at people from people looking from the outside, they're only going to get excited about the birth of it, you know, that moment the baby comes yeah. out, yes, right? Yes, but yes. the ta-da yeah, moment, the heart, right? Some a lot of our clients have said to us during the breastfeeding period, which is quite challenging, they would often say, you know, I would, would do the birth a hundred times over again if I had to, if I could, you know, because the breastfeeding is so challenging. And you want to put mm. this in perspective that although the birth is incredible, it's sort of a real odyssey of its own. It's a life-changing odyssey that it has so much potential. It has potential of healing. It has potential of bonding with your child. While all of that is there and it's uh, all of that is important, right? It's one aspect of your motherhood. Your motherhood is just so right, right. rich with different aspects of it, you know? And breastfeeding right. and bonding is a huge part of this. When you're helping these women out with their birth in their home, you're actually in their home and often in a 
a bath and you kind of, <laughs> is that true? You're actually in the bath with them. When you forget the idea right? of a bath. <laughs> I'm just clarifying. I, that's what I've heard. <laughs> right. So, so there's always that image, right? Bath and water birth. Yes. We do have a lot of people um, uh, want water births, but what we are, yeah. what we recommend is a, a water a, for laboring. And we ask people to be open to whatever happens when, because as soon as the head is crowning, all of the work is done. So the water provides a lot of relief during the labor. So we do. So because a woman, you know, who is untethered moves around everywhere. So sometimes they are, they might be sick and tired of the top and they might feel better on the bed. There was, uh-huh. yeah, unless, and sometimes we get women who tell us, I really want a water birth. So we try to make that happen. So sometimes there was a woman that um, she was in the water and not much was happening until she got out of the water. And, and we had to do what we call rebozo work, just, just sort of shifting her belly and doing all this positional work on the bed. Mm. Right. And then as soon as we did that and the baby starts crowning, then we grabbed her with a head sort of, basically coming out grabbed her or carried her and plonged her into the into the tub because she was so attached to a water birth ah right. okay all right so the water birth for you as a midwife not all the births occur no. in the bath it can happen really anywhere yeah. in the home and you assist them yeah, through that it doesn't matter we know, the thing about this work is that you have to be very flexible physically because wherever they are you have to be able to twist and turn so that they don't have to move they get to yes. stay where they want and you kind of have to yeah. to kind of you know pretzel your body around so that you can you know so as you mentioned as a midwife you're very mm. hands on definitely as you describe it Way more than an OBGYN yeah, totally. is. So let me ask you this. Are there any men? There are male midwives, but very few that I know that do home births. There are okay. male midwives, but they mostly work in the hospitals. Yes. I think they're okay. by, I think just the nature of it is that if, if you were starting a business as a male midwife, you're less likely to get clientele. I would yeah, think so. right. Especially the nature of how you describe a being a, of a yes, being a midwife, right? just more hands on, and you know wouldn't think that would work yeah, so well. Exactly, for them in the long right? Term. There is something about you know women and nurturing, and sort of what I call the yin energy. You know, the sort of the feminine mm. energy. Speaking of which, I mean, there are a lot of politics around gender right now, and often people will you know, are insisting on 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 making sure that every language that you use the pronouns that you use are gender inclusive which gets to be a little yeah. problematic in that I, you know I, when I use say woman it's like a surrogate term right because we're accepting we're very very like gender inclusive and you know you can come you can call yourself a man I don't care what you call yourself if you're gonna have a baby it's fine and we love actually to take care of different types of people but some okay. of the works whenever so the, the word midwife actually translates into with women so really the work has this no matter what you call yourself the work has this feminine nurturing matriarchal sort of energy you know so so that's the that's why you probably couldn't get a business so i wouldn't recommend richard that you start a a practice that's not going to be my second career no no <laughs> uh so what type of students what kind of people you find 
go into this career? Oh, like what kind of students you do you recommend? Yeah, I, I recommend. You know, I think by nature, a lot of people are curious about this work because it's so women centered. So by by nature, it has to be someone who really are sort of moved to do work with mm. women and to be part of the of women's sort of journey, right? And that is mm. a, quite a few people, right? But you also, of course, have to be, I think you, you have to be sort of the side of person who also wants to, who's comfortable with touch and actually comfortable with intimacy. So mm-hmm. we do get, you know, quite a few students very curious about this profession and my recommendation okay. to people is, you know, if you want to be a midwife, you don't have to be a home birth midwife. We need midwives, to be honest. Anybody who wants to be a midwife, you know, I am all there for them. So you have, right. you can decide to work in a hospital too. I mean, there's a lot of pluses. Right. I really appreciate my home, my hospital midwife colleagues because whenever we transfer someone, then we're transferring to another midwife, and then there is sort of a sisterhood where we can sort of collaboratively work together. So I do love hospital midwives. So it doesn't matter if you're looking for midwifery, whatever kind of midwife you're looking to be, my recommendation is to to do some research on on sort of, you know, read their bios, read their work, and then write a really, this is, and this is important, write a really nice email to them. Because mm-hmm. the, um, because, you know, that's how my I found my partner. She was mm. at that time still an undergrad and she wrote me this lovely email, which I usually, you know, so many people write me emails and I usually, you know, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't have room for a lot of mentorship. I would usually write a very nice, go here, go there. You know, you look for our, our professional board. They might give you more information. But mm. I really was, I like the way I could tell from the way she approached it. There's a somewhat maturity. There's a lot of humility. And I thought, you know what, I'll, 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 I'll talk to her. And then now she's my partner. So, wow. you know, so I always say the most important way to a lot of people just are fascinated with birth. So whether or not they were going to choose a midwifery career or anything to do with birth, and they want to follow a midwife, I think that, you know, my advice is the best way to get in is to really not write a nice letter. And I say that because I think there's a that craft is a little lost mm. of, you know, approaching a total stranger and just yeah. sort of like... Kim, I want to move to a different segment yes. now. go ahead. <laughs> it's a segment, a fun segment, I like to call Dr. Marn's Lightning Round. Oh, I've heard of these lightning rounds. Ready yes, for you. you are now going to experience it. <laughs> All right. So let's see. So you don't have to make a long answer. It could be short answers. Favorite day of the week? Saturday. Favorite city in the U.S. besides the one you live in? That's a good question. I don't know. New York City is such... I would say... There's a town called Adam in Massachusetts. It's not a city. It's a town. It's a beautiful town. Mm. Yeah. What cheers you up? What cheers me up? Just friends. Just just being with friends and not not having to worry about the politics of birth and just being able to be myself. 
Not the right answer. Not a fast lightning answer. I'm sorry. I got too deep into that. I'll try better. I'll try okay. better. I'll give one sentence answers. What's your best childhood memory? I'd say spending time in um, an, in a boat with my grandmother in the monsoon season. So we had boats under our house, built houses. So yeah. every year when the monsoon came, the whole town would be flooded and we'll pull the boat out and, and do all our shopping and all our sightseeing and all our, yes, yes. While it's raining. In the, in the monsoon season. No, it doesn't rain all the time. The monsoon season, oh. you know, it means that the, the floods would come. What accomplishment are you most proud of? I'd say really my work. I would like to apologize to my daughter for not saying being a mother, but it's awesome being a mother. But my work, you know, I think, you know, just is being able to come to where I am now is probably the, the answer. One of your favorite books of all time. Oh, my God. There are just so many. Jesus. Um, any book by Amy Tan. Climb a mountain or jump from a plane? Well, I've, I've flown a hang glider, so I would say climb a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Your least favorite word? The least favorite word. There are so many, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, vulnerability. <laughs> Finally, do you have any pets? I have a baby, a fur baby, a cat. If you could ask your pet two questions, what would it be? It'd be like, what the hell are you thinking all the time? And two, do you love me? <laughs> well, listen, this is fantastic. Where can listeners, Kim, go and reach you or learn more about you? Where can they, they go? They can go to my website. Which is, What's your website? Which is heart, the word heart and the word signs. Heartsignsmidwifery.com. And right. I also have a website for the mental health work that I do, birth mental health, called birthhavening.com. That's awesome. We didn't get the time to talk about that, but maybe in the future we sure. could. Yeah. You know? Kim, thank you so much for being on this podcast, and I really appreciate it. I, I hope this has been kind of useful for you. <laughs> oh, it's been very useful for me. Very educational, a lot of fun. Thank <laughs> yes. you. Thank you, Richard. All right, everybody, that's our show today. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about today's guests or other past guests, just check out my website, healthcareerswithdrmar.com or hcwithdrmar.com. Of course, if you like what you heard on this podcast, then please go to my website, add your name and email to my email list. That way you can get the latest announcements and news as they arise. You can also find me on Instagram at drrichardmarn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next episode.